Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I want to welcome you for another great episode. As the name says, our listeners are business creators, and they fall into one of four different categories. We have your entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have folks who help others build their businesses. These are your designers, your strategists, your assistants, your managers. And we have the do-it-yourselfers who love having your own hands on the marketing levers as you grow and market your businesses. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and discover how our experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing. Also, check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Make sure to subscribe. We're updating every week. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us serve more business creators just like you. This week, we are excited to have with us Steve Lowell, international keynote speaker, mentor to high-income professional speakers, and he's going to share with us how to take your message from the page to the stage. I love that title, How to Take Your Message from the Page to the Stage. Do you have a story to tell or a message to bring to this world? What we're going to share today, what Steve is going to share with us, are little-known secrets to captivating any audience and bringing your story to life on the stage. It's been demonstrated, it's been proven that when you use effective storytelling, whether you're on stage, whether you're on a podcast, whether you're writing in a blog, whether you're creating sales copy, when you tell a story, that increases your audience engagement and leads to increased actions and conversions. These are the skills that every author, every speaker, every coach, every trainer, every entrepreneur must know in order to get more standing ovations, higher speaking fees, massive sales from the stage, and I would say massive sales from the page as well. Everything you learn today will translate to your copywriting, to your podcast giving, and everything else you do, although we are focusing from speaking from the stage. Steve, how are you today? I am just great, Adam, and thanks so much for inviting me today. And I have to tell you, I absolutely commend you on the work that you're doing because you are bringing together some of the best minds in business from from really around the world and making their wisdom available to your audience, and that is just exceptional value. So congratulations to you. Well, thank you very much, and uh, and same to you because this is a very important message that we need to bring today, the whole thing about uh, storytelling and how to take your message from the page to the stage. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to share in exactly 87 words who Steve Lowe is. And as follows. In exactly 87 words. Okay. Yes, I love it. Steve Lowe has been speaking and performing on the live stage since the age of six. That's over 46 years ago. In 46 years, he has learned a thing or two about what works and what doesn't work on the live stage. Steve is an expert in professional speaking platform skills, presentation construction, and networking skills. He is the author of From Stage Fright to Spotlight – the past president of the Ottawa chapter of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, and a member of the Global Speaker Federation. So now that I've read off your official bio, what I'd like if you could do just for a moment here is for those of our listeners who haven't really had a chance to get to know you yet, a chance to learn more about Steve the Man. So just tell us a little bit about your background and really what kind of brought you to where you are today. In other words, fittingly enough, tell us a story. (laughs) Well, you know, I remember being uh, six years old, and uh, I was uh, in grade one at school, and we had had some kind of a free day that day. There wasn't, you know, a lot going on, and I had asked the teacher if I could bring my guitar to school to play for the other kids, and I did that, 
And it's the first time anybody had seen me play my guitar at six years old. And there was a lady in the room who was running a variety show, a local variety show in the town. And she had contacted my parents. She saw me play. She contacted my parents and asked if I would go and perform at this variety show. So I did that. And that was the first time that I'd ever been on a live stage. So I'm sitting on the edge of the stage, this little puny little six-year-old guy with this huge guitar that my parents had just bought me. And by the way, it's the same guitar I have now. I'm still using the same guitar from then. And I'm sitting on the stage with this huge guitar, and I'm playing, and there's all these people watching me. And I'm thinking to myself, this is where I want to be. <laughs> this is exactly where I want to be for the rest of my life is right here on a stage. And so that's kind of where it all started. And so from there, um, I started doing some television shows, you know, and I was a um, a bit of a sort of a child prodigy on the guitar, I guess. Um, nice. But then that sort of, over the years, that morphed into entertaining. And I started traveling the country uh, with a band, and I was the front man and one of the singers. And I, I started getting MC gigs, you know, where I would go and, and be the master of ceremonies for other organizations and events. And then in my mid-20s, I guess, um, it, it uh, finally occurred to me that not everybody loves to do that. And I couldn't understand that. I couldn't understand why anybody would not want to be on a stage. And so I started training people how to conduct themselves on the stage. And that was in my mid-20s. And I started working for different training organizations that were teaching uh, speaking skills. But the truth is I didn't really like a lot of the things that they were teaching. And I never really knew why I didn't like what they were teaching. I just knew that I didn't like what they were teaching. It didn't. Some of it didn't feel right. It didn't look right to me. It just wasn't the way I had learned all of those years being on a stage. And so it wasn't until, you know, in my, boy, in my late 30s or maybe even early 40s where I started to dig into neuroscience. Some things were happening in my life that really required me to understand and study the brain. So I started studying the brain and to figure out all these other things that were going on in my life. And when I would do that, I would find things that I would say, there, that's why audiences respond that way. That's right. why that kind of gesturing doesn't work. And so I was always able to translate the things I was learning about neuroscience into speaking. And I started applying those things and, and using those things when training my, my clients from around the world. And my clients started getting, you know, more standing ovations and massive sales from the stage and national television appearances and higher speaking fees and more, more repeat speaking gigs. And so it just sort of blossomed from there. So now the philosophies and principles that I use when I'm working with speakers, aspiring speakers and authors and trainers and coaches and entrepreneurs and, and professionals and executives and all these people that I work with, the, the principles and, and philosophies that I use all come from all of those years of experience on a stage and studying neuroscience and how the brain absorbs, retains, and recalls information. So it's all kind of a big compilation of all of that. And that's brought me sort of to where I am. I love that. I think that's absolutely Great. Uh, and it's funny how things that happen when we're very young can tend to influence us. And as I'm sure you've, you know, as a speaker and as an influencer, the power of creating childlike states of enthusiasm in your listeners. Because we all relate to things that happen to us as a child or happen with us as a child. I mean, there's still, uh, to this day, a certain type of, uh, there's certain, a, a certain little pizza shop that I remember when I was uh, growing up. And the place is no longer in business, but I can but every time I think of that pizza, I think of uh, I think of wonderful childhood evenings uh, with the 
movie playing in the VCR on a warm summer night. I know, you know right around the time we're doing this interview, it's not exactly a lot of warm summer nights going on, but uh, but uh, you know it's just it's just one of those little triggers. And when you can bring that out in your audience, and you can trigger something that happened with them as a child. You can really take them back to a place where they're going to become very receptive to what you have to say. Now. Before we dive into the main piece of our presentation here, and I know I'm, I just can't wait to pick your brain on this. It's going to be fantastic. What I want to say is here on the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that you or anybody else who comes on our show tells them to do except for time and money. Now, this is a question we ask every expert who appears on our show, not only because of the variety of answers, but the variety of ways the question gets interpreted. So what, what does that mean? When people say that they don't have enough time or money to succeed at this, how does that apply to what you're going to share with us today? Well, this may sound a, a little bit blunt, um, but sure. that's the way I, I am sometimes. You know, um, You know, I use that as well. Um, and I think a lot of us do. At some point in my life, I remember, you know, if I, I've got all the skills, I've got all the talent and experience and the wisdom and the study and all those things, all I need is more time and more money. And, right. and I reached a point in, in my business where I came to the realization, I kind of stepped out of denial, and I realized that instead of, you know, the words I were saying were, were you know, I have no time and no money. But what the message was is I'm afraid. That's the message that I was really putting out there, and that was the truth. Because if something is important enough, we can find the time and we can find the money. And there's always ways to adjust what we're doing in our lives to make sure that we have the time to do the things that must be done in order to develop our business and our careers and our talent and our expertise and our wisdom and all those things. And there's ways to work around the money. If you need something bad enough, you will either find a way to get it within what you can afford or you'll find a way to afford it. And so, and, and I deal with this a lot of times with my clients because I'm, you know, my, I'm an expensive guy. Like my, you take my mentorship program, it, it costs some money and it takes a lot of time. So the excuse I hear, you know, most often probably is, is I don't have the time or I don't have the money. Right. And my question, my answer to that is then you don't have the time to succeed. So it's very important that we understand the distinction. When we say to ourselves, we don't have the time and we don't have the money, I think it's important for so many of us, you know, Adam, to step out of the denial stage and say what we're really saying is that we're afraid. And why are we afraid? There's all kinds of reasons why we can be afraid to succeed. One of them, and I think the most common, is self-doubt, which means we don't actually believe in our ability to take the gifts that we have and move them forward to the next level. And I, and I believe with all of my heart that that is probably the most common roadblock in, in most businesses, especially at the entrepreneurial level, is that internal belief that holds us back. And instead of us having the fortitude to take that limiting belief and confront it, we use things like time and money as the excuse to protect us from the truth. I love that. I love that. And thank you so much for sharing with that. Now, Steve, what, in your opinion, is the single most important principle that every speaker needs to know in order to connect with any audience? You know, this is one of the most profound realizations that I've had in my business. And I had this realization when I was about nine years old, when I was playing music on a stage. And what I realized at the time, when I was nine years old or so, I remember realizing that I could play this song perfectly well 
and I'd get a certain kind of response. Or I could play this song not very well and still get a same response or even better response. Because what I found was it wasn't the perfection of the message that made the difference. It was how the audience felt about my performance that made the difference. And I've taken that principle and I've been using that all of my life with my speaking and my entertaining and my music and everything else. And here's the principle. And, and your listeners, if they don't get anything else out of this entire hour, they should get this. They need to write this down. Speaking is not about transferring information. Speaking is about transferring emotion. Now, I'm going to have some trainers listening to this and some teachers and some educators that are absolutely going to disagree with that, and they would be correct, mm-hmm. because teaching and training are not the same as speaking. And this is, a, a, this is a major distinction that as business people and as aspiring speakers and professional speakers and, and business presenters, it's a major distinction that we need to understand, because when we are training somebody, that is a transference of skill. When we are teaching somebody, that is a transference of knowledge and information. But when we're on a stage speaking, when we're doing informational or motivational or inspirational speaking, it's actually not about the information. It's about reaching past the audience's intellect, reaching them at the emotional level, triggering a visceral response so that they can understand and internalize the message. That's how we get through to an audience. And this is, um, you know, I see this all the time where so many speakers will get on the stage and, and what they do is they put forth all the information that they've got and um, and they think that's going to inspire an audience, and it really doesn't. And, you know, I see this in, in other areas as well. You know, my wife is a piano teacher. She teaches piano to children of all ages, and a couple times a year she'll have recitals where the kids will play the piano and all the parents and grandparents and ancestors and enemies and everybody else will be there, and these right. kids will play. Some of the kids will play the music technically perfect. They will transfer the information perfectly, but there's no feeling behind it because they're not musical. They can read the music and they can play the music and they can, you know, but the sound comes from the piano. But a real musician, as the same as a real speaker, the sound doesn't, the sound comes from the instrument, but the music comes from the soul. And it's the same when you're speaking, whether it's a business presentation or a keynote address or, uh, you know, any time when you're on a stage and you are there as a speaker, the, the music, the message comes from your soul. And your job is to transfer the feeling of your message more than the information of your message. The information is important for sure, but the information is, is uh, you, we use it as a writer. We use it as a vehicle to transport the emotion through the audience's intellect into their imagination so that they can actually start applying it into their lives and start absorbing and internalizing the the feeling of the information because it's the feeling that's going to trigger uh, them into action. So I think that is probably the single most important principle that uh, that I share with, with my clients and with my audiences. Right. You know what that makes me think of, and, uh, and sometimes you were a little bit blunt with us earlier when I asked the question about time and money, and there's something that I say that was taught to me by one of my mentors that uh, is also pretty blunt. And, you know, we hear in marketing that, you know, they say, you know, find out, you know, get your customers to tell you what they want. And I say, I don't care what my customers want. I don't care what the audience wants. What I care about is what they respond to. What do you think of that? I know that's blunt, but what do you think of that? I don't care what they say they want. I care what they respond to. Well, I think that that holds truth in um, uh, in a lot of cases. And I think it's a, it's a huge statement. 
and, and, and you, you know, you could argue both sides of that, and I could argue both sides of that very easily. But certainly I believe that most people approach it with that direction, you know, give them what they want. Um, and, uh, and I think it's a mistake just to do that as a default position. I think with every audience that you're, pre- that you're presenting to, um, I think what we need to do is we need to know the audience. We do need to know what the audience wants. That, that is important. But oftentimes, what, just bringing them to what they want isn't enough. We have to make them feel like they can actually get it and feel like it's important enough to get it now. And all of that is based on feeling. So from that perspective, I would agree with you 100%. We know what the audience wants. We know what their desired outcome is. We know where they want to go. But oftentimes, just handing that to somebody isn't nearly enough to catalyze action. Action right. is catalyzed through emotion, and then it's justified through logic. And that, and so that's why we need to give them exactly what you said. Give them what they respond to so that we can use that response to help them get what they really want. So in the end, it is about getting them what they want, but the mechanism is by going through the emotional conduit instead of the intellectual conduit. Absolutely, and I thank you so much for expanding upon that because that is something I think people really need to hear. I mean, when I see people say, well, just get your audience to tell you what they want, uh, what they're saying with their words may not be what they really want, what they really respond to. It could be anything from an autopilot response because that's what they think they're supposed to say, or it may be they're repeating somebody else's words because they don't have their own. It could be so many different things. You have to dig deeper, as you just shared with us. Now, I've heard you talk about the three circles of speaking energy. What does this concept mean, and then how do you manage them? So, that's uh, such a good question, and, and uh, let me explain it this way. About, I don't know, five or six years ago, or maybe, maybe longer, I was at a conference. I was sitting in the conference. I was an audience member. And I'm sitting in the uh, audience. There's about 3,000 people there, and on the stage, there's a speaker speaking. And this speaker was obviously an expert in his field. He knew everything there was to know about his field. He had the passion for his field. He was motivated, dedicated, enthusiastic, positive, committed, excited, and all those things that a speaker should be. He was dressed impeccably. He looked the part. He had all the things that a speaker should have. And I'm sitting there watching this guy speak, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I absolutely hate this guy. You know, right. I got, no, I don't hate him as a person, right? I don't hate him as a person, but I'm thinking I cannot listen to another word this guy says. If I have to listen to this guy for two more minutes, I'm going to blow an artery in my head, you know. And and so I'm thinking to myself, what is it about this guy that I don't like? I'm not sure. I can't figure it out. And this type of thing has bothered me all of my life. What is it about the, the speakers or the entertainers or the performers? There's something about them sometimes that makes me go, ugh, and I don't know what it is. And then that guy gets off the stage. And then the second speaker gets on the stage. And this guy was obviously an expert in his field. He knew everything there was to know about his content. He was very passionate and excited. He had all the same characteristics. He was positive, motivated, dedicated, committed, all of that kind of stuff. He looked the part. He was dressed beautifully. And I'm sitting in my chair watching this guy speak. And I'm thinking to myself, I could listen to this guy all day long. And so the question keeps coming up in my mind, what is the difference? Why did I not like the first guy and so much like the second guy? And it's not the first time this has happened to me. This has happened to me all of my adult life because I've dealt with so many speakers and entertainers. There's, there's the one thing that, that the second guy had that the first guy didn't, it, like the it factor, you know. The second right. guy had it, and the first guy didn't have it, whatever it is, you know. And so 
it was bothering me and bothering me and bothering me, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm digging into the neuroscience to try and find it, and I can't find it anywhere. Then I stumbled across a video on YouTube by a lady named Patsy Rodenberg. Now, Patsy uh, is a trainer of Shakespearean actors, and she's from England, and she's one of the, she's probably the most, world's most, uh, you know, foremost expert on Shakespearean acting. And I'm watching this little video, and she had, uh, she was describing what she was calling the three circles of acting. And I was watching it, and I, and I snapped my fingers. I said, there it is. That's it. That's what it is. She talked about these three circles and, and in the context of acting. So I, I bought her book and I read her book and it was uh, all about acting and, and so forth. But I, I took the concept of the three circles and twisted them a little bit and applied them to speaking and they fit like a, pardon me, fit like a glove. So let me explain what the three circles are. So the best way to do that is to explain it starting at first circle. So here's the thing. If I'm a first circle speaker, What's happening to me is this. My energy is consumed by my discomfort. So my energy is about me and my discomfort. I'm feeling self-conscious. I'm feeling uncomfortable. And it's going to manifest itself in the way I hold myself, the way I present myself. I'm going to be in some sort of an awkward stance. My voice might be sort of falling at my feet instead of projecting out to the audience, you know. Um, right. I'm going to use my hands to protect my midsection. Uh, and I might cling to my notes or stand behind a lectern or a podium. And so I'm going to do everything I can to kind of separate myself from the audience because I am consumed by my own fear and my own discomfort. Have you ever seen a speaker like that? Well, um, I can tell you that I have seen that before, and I also know a case where I was speaking on stage and I had to stand behind a lectern, not because I wanted to stand behind a lectern. I actually wanted to get out among the audience, but because it was being filmed with a camcorder, and the camcorder didn't have a whole lot of range, and they didn't have anybody to follow me around with a steady cam. So uh, I was forced right. to. But I'm thinking, to your point uh, there, Steve, there's, like, there's a barrier between me and the audience. I want to reach out and touch them. So from the podium, I – did things to engage the audience, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But yeah, I, I see, you know, there have been people who have hid behind a barrier. I do get it. Right. So they hide behind a barrier. Sometimes the barrier is just their notes. And sometimes there is no barrier and they lock their hands in front of them. They won't make eye contact to the audience. So when you, the next time you see one, you're going to know that person right. is in first circle. It's obviously a discomfortable place, right? Or uncomfortable place. Now, if I'm the audience member, of a first circle speaker, what's going to happen to me is I will maybe initially try to hear. I'll cut the speaker a little bit of slack because they're clearly uncomfortable. Uh, I might lean forward a little bit and, and turn my ear in just to try and you know absorb some of the information. I might have a little bit of empathy for the speaker, but that's going to last a very short time. And sooner or later, I'm going to break out my iPhone and start checking my email, or you know, or, or I'm just going to sort of tune out. And right. so that's a first circle space. And a lot of speakers, a lot of aspiring speakers um, operate in that space because it's their self-doubt, it's the discomfort, and it's the lack of confidence that puts them into that space. So the first circle of speaking energy is where the energy is about the speaker, and it's kind of dropping at the speaker's feet because of that discomfort. So what happens in, in my training programs oftentimes is I'll see speakers come in and they're in that place. They're in first circle. And what will often happen is when they bounce out of first circle, they will jump all the way over to third. Now, third circle is when you are 
huge on the stage and your voice is loud and everything is a for a third circle speaker everything is a public proclamation so if i'm the third circle speaker i'm on the stage my chest is puffed out i'm speaking really loud everything is this universal proclamation so my message is going out beyond the audience out into the universe because i want every organism in the known universe to savor my wisdom right and i'm going to be sauntering across the stage and everything is going to be uh, like it's almost like i'm hitting the audience with a blunt instrument and as a third circle speaker i don't really care about my audience what i care about is my hugeness on the stage okay do, have you seen speakers like that oh yeah yeah and uh yeah that, and that, and that, and that and was the first chat, speaker yeah that's when my samsung galaxy note comes out and i put up the barrier between me and them because i don't want to get hit over the head with that Exactly. You don't want to get hit over the head with it. And that's why I didn't like that first speaker at the conference, because he was dominant third circle. Everything was a public proclamation. He was pounding the audience with a blunt instrument. Now, now if I'm the uh, audience of a third circle speaker, so I'm in the audience and there's this third circle speaker up here, I might initially be impressed with the confidence and the bravado and bigness of this speaker. I might initially be impressed with the energy and the excitement and the enthusiasm. But what will happen is, in very short order, I am going to realize that I am being played. Um, in very short order, I'm going to realize that this is an act, and I'm kind of being, you know, the message is being uh, thrust upon me. And so what will happen is, as a third circle audience, is I will initially participate but then I will move from participating to complying, and then after that, I will move to not playing at all. So let me give you an example. That first speaker that I talked to you about there, uh, he would come out, and he was in third circle. He was suit, and everything was a public proclamation, right? He would make a, some sort of a statement, and then he'd throw his hand up in the air, and he'd say, true or true? And he would kind of force the audience to respond, true. And, and, and you know, the first two or three times he did that, the audience would participate. They would willingly throw their hands up and agree. Yeah, true. But then after the third, fourth, fifth time, what happens is less and less, you know, fewer and fewer people are putting their, their hands up. And even the ones that were putting their hands up, they were complying, not participating. And there's a difference between those two things. And then shortly after that, no hands would go up at all. He had to work harder and harder and harder to get people to put their hands up because they were tuning out and they stopped playing. And so what happens at the end of the third circle presentation is I'm exhausted. As an audience member, I'm exhausted. I don't, I, and, and, and I realize that all of this inspiration and motivation and excitement and passion and enthusiasm, that all of this stuff was manufactured for the purpose of the presentation. And that's right. a third circle speaker. Now, here's the funny thing about third circle, Adam, is that with most speakers that are in third circle, it's driven by the same fear as first circle. See, with first circle, my fear is that uh, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm self-conscious and I'm not enough for this audience, right? In third circle, oftentimes, I have the same fear. I'm self-conscious and I'm not enough for this audience. So what I have to do is make myself bigger than I really am. And That's so almost all the time, it, 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 it's a front, right? It's, it's, a, it's an armor. Now, there's some of the uh, third circle speakers who just speak that way, and, and it's because of actual bravado and confidence, and that's fine. But most third circle speakers are driven by the same discomfort and fear as the first circle speaker. And then we've got the second circle speaker. The second circle speaker is the person who gets on the stage and converses with the audience. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be loud and fast and big, and it doesn't mean that you can't curl up and, 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 some, and be vulnerable. You can do all of that. 
But the, the, the second circle speaker is the one that is on the stage galvanizing a relationship with the audience through conversation. And now that it doesn't even mean that the audience is saying anything. It's a conversation. The speaker just happens to be the one saying the words. But what's happening in the second circle is the energy is being shared with the audience. It's not being thrust at my feet and it's not being forced upon the audience. It's a sharing. It's an exchange. And as a second circle speaker, what you're doing is you are responding to your audience instead of flicking your message on the audience and you're going to notice heads nodding up and down people lending you their ear people taking notes people watching you you know you're going to see these things in the audience of a second circle speaker because they are engaged and they are participative as opposed to just being observant you see and so here's an important thing about the three circles is we actually need all three we need to be able to jump in and out of the first second and third circles at will because each of them have a purpose but your dominant posture as a speaker you need to be in that second circle relationship building space with the audience and then jump into third circle when you have earned the right to do that and when you want to make a powerful point and you can jump into second circle when you want or into first circle when you want to be able to feel vulnerable and hit the really emotional pieces but the dominant posture is going to be in that second circle space in relationship with your audience and building that relationship with them. And, and those are the three circles of speaking energy. And, um, you know, and it takes a, a lot of training to recognize them. You can sit in an audience now and you can watch it and you'll probably be able to identify them from now on. But on, as a speaker, you need to feel them. You need to know what it feels like to be in third circle and in first circle and in second circle. And it's that feeling of, of knowing where you are that's going to help you control. Yeah, I think this is a great foundation for where we're going to go next. And I can tell you that I was listening to this, and I was just thinking about some of my own speaking style. And I do some of that where I have the audience say, yes, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put out something, and I'll get agreement. And that's a pretty common speaking technique. But I also know that only goes so far, where if you're trying to get your audience to agree with you every three or four minutes, eventually they're going to get really tired of it. I also know that calling on people in the audience and having them tell their story is also something you want to be selected about as well and when I do that because that's one of my own techniques if I know if I know somebody in the audience um, I'll make pretty darn sure that there's a relationship between me and them that's going to support me doing that and I'm going to be saying the right thing because I remember one time I was in an audience where um, one of my previous clients from like four years before was speaking on stage and that person recognized me in the audience and they called me out and I'm thinking okay well this is cool I'm about to have my uh, profile raised in front of this whole audience and they start talking about the stuff I did in my business four years ago ruined right. me for the entire weekend <laughs> if, oh, they, if, they, if, they, if they or their assistant had approached me before they did that and just ran that by me first, I would have been able to say, well, either don't mention this or mention this in the past tense along with this in the present tense, and I'd love it. Because you think you're doing somebody a favor, and what you may be doing is alienating them. And that's unfortunately, is exactly what happened. I never really did quite get over it. So be real careful that in your attempt to reach out to somebody in the audience to engage them, think you're going to convert them, you don't end up driving them farther away. Because uh, I'm not going to say the name of the person who did this to me from the stage, but uh, if we were in private conversation, I would certainly share their name. Sure. And, and, and yeah, I agree with you 100%. With you, I'm having that conversation with 100 other people too. So that's something you want to be real careful of. So 
now that we've put out the old buyer beware caveat emptor, now let's talk about a few of the best audience engagement techniques that generate eager participation each and every time. This is what we need. Okay, so the most common thing that speakers do to engage an audience um, is the one thing that is almost always done very badly. And so let's talk about that. And that is how to ask the audience a question. Because here's the thing. So many speakers have been trained by different speaking clubs and organizations to, you know, get the audience involved and get the audience to participate. And so what a speaker will often do is they will ask the audience a question, how many of you have this or that or the other thing? And they believe that that is audience engagement, and it's really not. All it is is a tactic to try to get the audience to put up their hand for no particular reason whatsoever. Right. So let's talk about asking the audience questions first because there is a proper technique to it, and, there, and, and this is one way to keep the audience engaged, and this is it. Okay, three principles to asking the audience questions. Number one is this. The question needs to be painfully simple. It's usually a yes or no, this or that type question. Now, at that conference that I was mentioning earlier where we had the two speakers that I didn't like much, there was one speaker there who came out and asked the audience a question very similar to this. I don't remember it verbatim, but it was something like this. Let me ask you this question. What is the average amount of interest you would pay on a 25-year mortgage at $200,000 at 4% interest? And sat there and waited for an answer. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not going to be an answer. Right? And right. so the question needs to be painfully simple, yes or no. That's principle number one. And, and, and principle number two is this. You want the audience to know how to respond. And so many speakers will, will start the question with how many of you. And what happens is when they start the question with how many of you have ever bought a house, the audience doesn't know whether or not they're supposed to put their hand up if they're supposed to stand up, if it's a rhetorical question, they have no idea how to respond. Most people right. will, by um, by extension, just put their hand up, but, but so many people won't because they have not really been instructed on how to answer. So the better way to do it is to, the speaker, put their hand up in the air and say, raise your hand if, and then present the, the question. And keep the speaker keeps his hand up, his or her hand up in the air. And that indicates to the audience that there is a reason for this and we need to put our hand up. So that's the third, the second principle. So the first one is keep it painfully simple. The second one is, 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 uh, tell the audience how to answer. And then number three, and this is the most important one, I think. And that is we need to do something with the information that comes back. Do something with the audience's response. Because if we don't, it becomes a tactic and the audience is going to stop participating and start complying, and then they're going to stop playing altogether. So right. the question, in order to do something with the information that comes back at them, the question has to be relevant to something. Stupid questions don't cut it with an audience anymore. Put up your hand if you'd like to make more money. Okay, well, that's a stupid question because everybody wants to make more money. And, and really what you're doing is you're kind of insulting the audience's intelligence there. So right. the question is, you know, the question must be relevant. Otherwise, it's seen as a tactic. It's seen as a game, and they, it will not be taken seriously. People are still going to raise their hand, and they might give a little bit of a chuckle. But what's happened is you've just reduced your credibility in the mind of that audience. So to, answer, to ask the audience questions, they need to be really well placed 
They should have an actual purpose. And, and so the three principles, again, painfully simple answer. Number two, show them how to answer. And number three, you must do something with that in the information that comes back. Now, there's a whole other conversation around all of this because and we could go on forever, but we won't. But, uh, you know, an important point about this is as the speaker, when you, um, you know, when you plant your questions and you know how to ask them, one of the things you need to do is make sure that you are prepared for any conceivable answer that comes back. So if right. the question, for example, is a raise your hand if type question, what are you going to do if nobody raises their hand? What are you going to do if everybody raises their hand? What are you going to do if half the people raise their hand? So you need to be prepared for every conceivable eventual, uh, you know, eventuality that comes back when you're answering, uh, when you're asking the question. So that is the most common way to get an audience engaged. And as long as you do something with the information, as long as the questions are actually relevant to your content and have a real purpose, um, your audience will, uh, they'll never get tired of answering them because it's going to keep them within the context of your message and keep keep them engaged. Okay? Now, the other thing about getting an audience engaged is, I mean, there's there's all kinds of creative ways to do it. Now, I don't want to go through all the different tips and techniques of how to engage the audience, but the principles of audience engagement are what really matter. It doesn't matter what you do. What matters is that you do it for a purpose. And if it's done for a purpose and the purpose actually contributes to the point of the message, that's when you're going to keep them engaged. So it should be a learning purpose. It should be something to prove a point. It should be something to collect data from the audience so that you can structure the rest of your person, your rest of your presentation around that data. Always do something with the information. And so, I mean, I never ask an audience anything. I never engage the audience with anything that does not have an absolutely critical purpose to my presentation. Because every time I do that, what I'm doing is pushing them away with a tactic instead of galvanizing my, my relationship with them, you know, through proper structure and proper etiquette. You know, I learned something years ago. I was watching a comedy routine, and the comedian uh, told a joke that absolutely bombed. Uh, I mean, I guess he thought he was going to get an, up, uh, 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 an uproarious response to it, and everybody just sat there and stared. And he said, oh, if you could see the dumb looks on your faces right now. And everybody laughed at that because he recovered made it look like he was trying to dumbfound them. So uh, I thought it was kind of a sneaky way out of it, but at the same time, it worked. It helped him recover his routine. Now, a few years ago, I got up in front of a, of a group of accountants, and I asked, who here has a website? And when you were telling us what you were telling us, Steve, just now, I'm thinking back to that. Well, in this day and age, who doesn't have a website? So when everything... But you see, that would have been a better question. Yeah, true. Put up your hand if your business does not have a website. That would have been a better question. Right, because nobody would have put their hand up, and I would have been ready for that. I was still able to turn it around because every single hand went up, and I was able to turn it around, and I was able to add something to it. I'd have to go back and look at the tape to remember exactly what I said, but I do remember I said something to re-engage the audience right at that point, something uh, along the lines of, well, I would hope so if you're in business or something along that. I'd have to go back and watch the tape, but I found myself caught a little bit unawares because I was thinking in my mind that maybe 30 or 40% of the room would put their hands up, and 100% did. So my original purpose yeah. for asking that question didn't quite work out. Fortunately, I was able to think quickly and recover it. So that is something, and I'm glad you brought that to our attention, Steve, because I do see speakers do that. They say something, and then it backfires on them, and then they're left with a, oh, no, I just lost my point. 
better yeah. have a different. And you know what? That's going to happen anyway. You, you know, yeah. it's impossible if you're going to do a lot of speaking, like as much speaking as you do and as I do. I mean, that's going to happen, right? And and that's part of the experience is to be able to improvise, adapt, and overcome when those situations arise. But certainly, if you do these techniques properly, if you really are well prepared and you know how to execute these techniques, you can avoid those situations to a greater degree for sure. Yes, absolutely. Now. Uh, why don't you tell us some more about some professional speaking techniques that'll keep people on the edge of their seats? You got 45 minutes to engage them and 15 minutes to convert them to have, have, keep them running to the back of the room. How do we do it? Okay. Gonna, I mean, again, uh, there's a the phone book, right? This is a huge, huge question, but I'm going to talk about probably the most important, the most effective, and the simplest to understand. And it's not about tactics. Here's what it's about. It's about language. And I'm going to talk to you about three different components of language or three different characteristics of language. So when we're speaking, we want our language to have three major characteristics, and here's number one. We want the language to be visual, and here's why. Because most people, the vast majority of the population, think in terms of pictures. And so what we need to do as speakers is we need to paint visual pictures in the mind of the audience. Now, a lot of speakers, I mean a lot of speakers, use things like PowerPoint slides and think that they're creating a visual effect. Well, they're not. They're really not. Because the most powerful visual effect for anybody is the visual effect that they create in their own mind. So what happens with PowerPoint slides, and I'm not saying you should never use them, I'm just saying that most people use them very poorly and actually damage their presentation instead of enhance it. But what happens is when somebody looks at a PowerPoint slide, what they're doing is basically taking a snapshot with their eyes of somebody else's creativity, somebody else's rendition of, of something, and then they see it, but they don't internalize it. They haven't created anything. None of their creative neurons have been engaged. So when you as a speaker can use words that are going to create a picture in the mind of the audience as you speak, then what you're doing is you are engaging an entirely different part of the brain than any other thing like a PowerPoint slide can ever touch. And you're engaging these neurons in the brain that require them to manifest the reality in their mind. And what that does is such a profound thing. What it does is this. It puts the audience member in the story or in the picture instead of having them observe the picture. And it, it is an entirely different effect on, on the body and on the brain. So that's the first thing. We want the language to be visual all the way across. We want to be painting pictures with our words in the mind of the audience so that they can see themselves in it. That's principle number one. Principle number two is this. We want our language to be emotional because, as I mentioned earlier, the primary objective of a speaker is not to transfer information, but it's to transfer emotion. And so when we use emotional words, again, what we're doing is we're getting past the audience's intellect into their imagination, and they manifest the feeling within themselves. So they are now creating their own feeling about your message, you see. And so now what you've got is an audience member who sees the picture, and so they now believe that it's true because seeing, as you know, is believing. So right. they create the picture in their mind by the visual language, so they believe it. And now if you can use uh, emotional language, they feel the message, and so now they understand it. And then the third component is we want the language to be in motion. Now, what does that mean? It means taking your content and putting it in the form of a story so that there is a beginning, a middle, and an end all the way through your presentation. 
And there's a whole study around that that you know that I help people with how to put the story in you know in their presentation. But here's the right. significance of it, and, and that is this: the audience wants to participate in the message. Now, I don't mean necessarily mean get up on stage with you, but in their mind, they want to be able to watch it unfold. And if it's just a series of pictures that are disconnected, all they are is disconnected, isolated messages that don't mean anything. But when you put the language in motion, when you have the beginning of a story and you bring the story to a point of a conflict or a challenge, and then you bring the story to a point of a decision, then you bring the story to a point of a discovery, and then you bring it to the sort of big aha at the mo- at the end through your entire presentation, that puts the language in motion. And so here's what happens to your audience members. They see it so they can believe it. They feel it so they understand it, and you put it in motion so that they will remember it because you've created an experience. And audience members and everybody else remember experiences more than information. You see, so if you're selling something from the stage, if you're just trying to influence people, if you're trying to persuade, if you're trying to inspire, if you're trying to motivate, if you're trying to educate, the the most important tool that you have is your words and your ability to make it visual, make it emotional, and to put it into motion. And the reason why this is so, so, so important, Adam, is because your audience's most expensive and uh, most scarce resource is not their time and it's not their money. Their audience's most expensive and most scarce resource is their attention. And if you're going to hold that attention, you've got to do it with these three points of language, visual, emotional, and in motion. And once you get that, if you can master that, all the other techniques are just extensions of that foundation. But without that foundation, without having your, your, uh, your language visual and emotional and in motion, all the other techniques to keep an audience interested and keep them engaged and keep them on the edge of your seats and all that stuff, they're all just tactics. And some right. of them will work, some of them won't work, but you will never, ever reach an audience at the emotional and visceral level that you could if you use visual, emotional language that is in motion. And, and I think that is probably, you know, those skills, those three principles are the foundation of every communication on a stage. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct about that, and I want to thank you for sharing that very detailed little lesson right there. And as our listeners know, I'm not only the host of the Business Creators Radio Show, but I'm next to our listeners in the audience with my pad and paper out taking notes as well because I'm looking to learn things as well. Now, we have about uh, 12 minutes left here, and I want to make sure that we respect everybody's time. There's one more thing I want to ask before we turn over the stage, so to speak, to you for a few minutes there, Steve, is we have a lot of folks who do speaking through webinars and podcasts. Now, do the same techniques you've shared with us for speaking on stage translate into the virtual world? You know, people on webinars where you have people either looking at your slides or seeing your face through a webcam or podcasts like what we're doing right now where all they see here, rather, is the voice. Uh, is there something that online speakers should keep in mind since they don't have the people live in the room with them like they would if they're speaking from the stage? Absolutely. Okay, so first of all, um, the original question is, do the same principles apply? And and they right. do apply, and in fact, they, they may apply more so because you don't have the um, utility of your presence to demonstrate. So if you're on a live stage, you know, whether you're using PowerPoint or not, and, and I never use PowerPoint unless I 
absolutely have to for some reason. But if I'm on a stage, I have the utility of my presence, which means I can use my body language. I can use facial expressions. I can use stage mechanics. I can you know, use the real estate on the stage to demonstrate things. I can put it in motion that way. And I can help the audience create visuals that way. But when you're on a podcast or you're on a webinar, you don't have that utility. And so what you need to do is really master the art of speaking because that's when having your visual language is so much more important because you don't have the utility of your presence. The emotional language is so much more important because you don't have the, 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 the utility of your presence. And the in motion is so important because they're stationary staring at a screen at a bunch of pictures or words. And so it's all, all the power is going to come from your language. I do all kinds of webinars and, and I take, you know, it takes me a lot longer to prepare for a webinar than it does for any live address. Because when I'm on the stage in a live address, my, I know my material so well, you know, that it just sort of comes through me. And there's an important point that I should sort of interject. You know, um, as a speaker or presenter, you need to go through your material until your material comes through you. And it's not coming from your head, but coming from your, from your being. And, and in any presenting situation, that's where you need to be. But when I'm on a webinar, I have to prepare a lot more because I have to make sure that my words are visual, that they are emotional, and that they're in motion because I have to create that because I do not have the utility of actually being there. Okay, so that's, it's right. critically important that, that we, we have that foundation for uh, webinars and for teleseminars. Right, and and that is something that people need to hear, which is there's a lot of it has to do with your language. Uh, there's things about vocal intonations, how you use the words, how you use psychology, how you use persuasive techniques get, to get through. Because again, you don't have the ability to speak with them directly in the room. And I don't know about you, Steve, but I look a lot different on a webcam than I do in real life. Yeah, I do too. And I never use a webcam when my webinars because it, to me, it doesn't hold, uh, it doesn't have any purpose. Um, all right. it is is a talking head sitting there staring at the camera. So when I do webinars, um, if I'm doing them live or like this, like this interview right now, here's another tip that I would recommend for your listeners. Uh, I'm on my phone right now at my house in Ottawa, Canada, and I'm walking around the entire house as I'm speaking to you. I don't oh. sit down and, and I am walking all around the house. And the reason is because uh, the words that you hear from me are more than words. You need to hear the feeling behind the words. I mean, I've been sitting on right. that point for an hour now, right? You need to feel the feelings behind the words. How do I, how do I muster that? I can't create it. Otherwise, you are going to know that it's manufactured. So for me, I have to authentically feel it as well. How I authentically feel it is in part through my body mechanics, through my body language, through movement. And there's all kinds of neuroscience, you know, around why this happens. We don't have time to go into it, but all of the body language that I'm using right now as I'm speaking to you is what's reaching into me and pulling out my emotions and my passion for this message. And if I was sitting in a chair, I wouldn't be able to draw upon that because all of the neuroscience involved would not be engaged. There's so much happens in your brain that is triggered by physical movement. So, so, so much. And so when you're doing a, a webinar, a teleseminar, some place where you're, all you have is your voice, if you have any possibility, arrange so that you can move around the room. Get on the phone or get on the, you know, the headset or whatever it is you're doing and walk and move and gesture like you're live in front of a live audience because that 
body, you know, those body mechanics are so much more than just movement. They generate and they draw upon all of the neurons and all of the emotions and all the molecules of emotion and all the things in your body that come forth and, and bring the emotion to your message. So I think that's really important. The other thing that I do is a little thing uh, that kind of helps me. I speak fairly quickly. You know, I, I've read that most people speak at about 150 words a minute or something, but I speak at about 225 with gusts up to about 550. You know, so what I do is I have two signs right in front of me in red, big red marker on my wall, and one of them says "slow down" and the other one says "smile," because I want my facial expressions to mold the words as they're coming out of my mouth. So there's so much more to webinars and to podcasts and to teleseminars than just speaking into a microphone. Right. If you want to engage an audience at the other end of an invisible line, the only way you can do it is by reaching through that intellect and into their imagination because otherwise they can just go read a web page. Yeah, it's very true. That's very that's very true indeed. And what I like is what you tell us to do, which is to get up and walk around. One of the things I really love about virtual teaching, because I do so much of it myself, is that they don't have to see you. I was I've been coached in the past, uh, people saying, "Well, come on, man, just show your face on video. Nobody cares uh, what you look like, what have you." And and the thing is, I care what I look like, and I really don't like to show my face on video. I do it once a week for a Google Hangout that I co-host, and that's about it. Otherwise, I like to speak through slides. I like to speak using the power of my voice. The reason being is because I can do so much with the power of my voice. I can do so much with the power of my vocal intonations. I can do so much with my language. I don't need to show myself on a sketchy webcam. In fact, sometimes the webcam may take away from the impact I'm making. Absolutely. Oh, I couldn't agree more. So it's it's just not something that is required. On occasion, what I'll do on a webinar is I might open it up with a little bit of a webcam appearance just to welcome. Say, hey, everybody, you know, welcome aboard. Steve Lowell here. Glad you can join us today. We're going to talk about this. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn the camera off now just so that we can make sure that you feel, you know, free to take notes and all of that, and I'll just then I'll turn it off. But I don't even do that very often because it doesn't really serve much. The only purpose that it can serve that I see is if I've got people, you know, from around the world who have never met me, have never seen me, you know, just to give them a sense that there's a, a an actual human being there, and then that's it, and that's all I need. Right. I'm one of those folks. I mean, there are some pictures of me online. I have some headshots. There are a couple pictures of me in front of audiences or in groups or things like that. So you'll find some of that out there. But there are a number of people out there who really don't know what I look like. Who, if they saw me walking down the street, they wouldn't know it was me. And back in the day, when I was first start, when I was first starting in business, uh, I did not have really a headshot at all. And I was having a conversation with the clients who saw a picture of me, and they said, oh, you know, I've been working with you almost a year, and I finally get to see what you look like. Isn't that nice? I, I knew where they were going with it, and I said, yeah, and for that past year, you've managed to do business with me. Yeah, amazing, huh? Yeah, I know, I know. So, so they thought that that was somehow creating some additional level of trust, but it really wasn't necessary. I know I know. No. I, I, have a, I have a friend of mine who um, has been in in marketing for years, and there is no picture of her. In fact, there's a dollar amount being offered to anybody who can come up with a verified photo, and she's doing just fine without it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great marketing technique. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, put a dollar amount to anybody who can uh, teach me how to uh, authentically grow hair. 
Exactly. <laughs> well, 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 Steve, we have about we have about four minutes left here. What I want to do, first of all, is thank you so much for being with us. And second, well, I want my to, privilege. Absolutely, I want to turn the stage over to you for about two minutes here, and uh, just tell our listeners who are on the edge of their seats, wanting to know more about this now, how they can engage with you, and what you can offer to our audience. Sure. Okay. So a couple of things. Um, if you are interested in chatting with me, I'm very open to that. And so the best way to do that is to just go to this site. Go to www.meetstevelowell.com, and my online calendaring system will be there. And I offer a free 15-minute consultation, and I can, um, you know, I can speak with people all over the world because we do it through Skype. So it's www.meetstevelowell.com, and uh, my calendar will be there, and you can book a 15-minute consultation, and we can chat about right. anything that, that you want. Now, I've also got some gifts for uh, your audience. I've got three gifts uh, to provide for them. One of them is a PDF copy of my book, and my book is called From Stage Fright to Spotlight, 99 Speakers' Secrets to Breaking the Rules and Mastering the Stage. And uh, it's a great little book. It's 99 individual secrets. You can open it up on any page. You're going to find one there. You know, it's great, great bathroom reader, right? <laughs> so that'll be there. And then the second one I've got is an audio program. Uh, it's about 45 or 50 minutes long, and it's called 6,179 Ways to Guarantee that Your Next Presentation Sucks. And it's uh, it's a, a nice. fascinating little audio program. Yeah, it's kind of cool when you uh, when you get into it. Now, obviously, I don't go through six thousand one hundred seventy nine points, um, but it, it, you'll see when you you have to listen to it to get what it means. Um, and then the uh, the third gift is another audio program. It's about fifty minutes long, and it's called Spice Up Your Speaking. And Spice is an acronym. S P I C E is an acronym for five critical elements that you need to be aware of when you're doing any kind of speaking whatsoever. And I've got all of those things available. I'm going to give the website here, and I'll spell this out because it is long. It's not a website that I give to everybody, so here it is. It's www.stevelowell.com forward slash capital J capital V forward slash, and then it's giftsfromsteve.html. And gifts from Steve, the first letters are capitalized. So capital G, capital F, capital S. So I'll repeat that. It's stevelowell.com forward slash capital J, capital V. And then forward slash giftsfromsteve.html, capital G, capital F, capital S. And all of the three gifts are there. You can just grab it and download it, and, uh, and they're yours, uh, yours to have. So that's what I've got for your listeners. And there's one more thing um, that might be of value to them. I uh, give away eight free uh, training videos, high-impact speaking training videos. And you can have instant access to those. It's very high-value content. And you'll find those at freepublicspeakingvideos.com. So that's freepublicspeakingvideos.com, and you can download them all there. So there are, um, you know, three different ways uh, that you can connect with me and grab a hold of some of my stuff. You can pick any one you want or choose all three. It doesn't matter, but it's all there for you. Well, Steve, that, those were some very generous gifts. And I'll remi remind all of our listeners that you can also get more information about all of our guest experts, including Steve Lowe at businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Every one of our guest experts has an individual profile. So, Steve, thanks again for being with us. This has been an honor as well as an education. 
Well, it's been my privilege. And again, thanks so much for the work that you're doing. Uh, I, I absolutely honor you for the effort you're putting in and the, the very high value you're bringing to your listeners. So uh, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I do what I can with what I got. So everybody listening, uh, this has been the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, where we help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing. Till next time, this is Adam Homie. Have a great day. Take care. <laughs>